0: Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world, one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message.
1: Welcome. If you're new to Quest and we haven't had the privilege of meeting you, we'd love to get to know you. Even now, we'd love to begin connecting you at Quest because we believe the way God designed us, the way he talks about the role of the church in our lives and in this mm-hmm. world, all point to the fact that the only way to have a great faith, a great church experience, and a great life is to do it with friends. So let us know who you are so you, we can start building a relationship with you and help you connect to friendship here at Quest, either in person or online. So it was 1985, I saw a girl sitting next to me in a Psych of Personality class in college, And shortly after, I called and asked her out. In that one phone call, I asked her out for Friday night. She said no. I asked her out for Saturday night. She said no. Mm -hmm. So I asked her to go to church together on Sunday, and she said yes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think about the massive implications of that small decision to keep asking. What would have happened if I hadn't asked again and again? I almost didn't. I was graduating from college, going on to grad school. She was two years younger. At what point was I being too pushy? Mm -hmm. So a small decision, just taking one more step with a glimmer of hope, had a massive implication. A 34-year marriage, discovering a faithful, tenacious love that has changed my life, three kids and a soon-to-be wonderful daughter-in-law, several geographical moves, challenges faced together, a, a rich history together, just taking one more step, asking one more time, and then yes, one more time had massive implications Mm -hmm. so as we continue our series one big story we see how God uses people who just keep taking one more step toward God and those simple steps lead to massive implications
0: so our main question today is what's just one more step that God is wanting you to make because what we discover it's it's just that next small act of obedience that can lead to the best things in our lives now, while we're doing this overview of the Bible, we can get lost in these fascinating stories that help us know more about who God is, but we may not see the big picture of what God is doing. The last two weeks, we've been in First and Second Kings, where we've seen how Israel's kings and the people continually reject God by choosing other gods to trust in, thereby leaving Israel unable to experience the blessings that God desires to give them. So despite the title, these books don't highlight the various kings, As much as two non-royal figures who dominate the narrative, Elijah, who we focused on last week, and Elisha, who we'll talk about today, these prophets stand firmly displaying the power and love of God against the backdrop of the continual unfaithfulness of the kings and the people. So last week we focused on Elijah, whose name means the Lord is God. Now Elijah's life displayed this truth in many power encounters, especially his boldness in declaring the one true God in one of the greatest showdowns in history at the altars of Baal versus God. Now, Elijah trains up his successor, Elisha, whose name means God saves. Elisha's ministry reflects this heart of compassion and the saving power of God. And we'll see this by focusing on three of the main stories in Elisha's life.
1: But first, let's look at how God transferred the anointing of Elijah onto Elisha. Mm-hmm. Elisha's calling is found in 1 Kings 19. It says, So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then mm-hmm. I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he rose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So what do we know about Elisha? Well, this is a time of drought and famine, yet Elisha and others are plowing a field with 24 oxen, which shows Elisha's family had immense wealth. Mm -hmm. Elijah calls Elisha to be a prophet, asking him to leave a life of comfort and power into a life of potential poverty and danger. Elisha makes a decision to go in that split-second moment to forego his current life, and he follows Elijah willingly and joyfully. Now, we see the character of Elisha and how he leaves. He sacrifices a pair of oxen and feeds it to the people before following Elijah. As poverty was widespread, this was an extraordinarily generous act.
0: And Elisha's calling reminds us that every one of us has a calling of God. And that calling includes two parts. God calls each person to do something to make a difference in this world in some way that's unique to each person. And second, we are called to become someone. Now both of these parts work hand in hand. Now Elisha had some specific things God called him to do, yet his becoming was essential in being able to do those things well. So, and here's the truth, like, if we are unclear of what specific things that God has called us to do, we can always focus on the becoming part. We are all called to become a person of love, of justice, wisdom, self-control, humility. I mean, all of the fruits of the Spirit of God. So God calls each of us out of our flaws into something more. So if you aren't sure what God wants you to do, just take the next step to becoming the person God wants you to become, in whatever situation you are in, and you are going to walk smack dab into the middle of the calling God has on your life and all the fulfillment that that brings. I mean, I know this stay-at-home season has definitely allowed me to, the opportunity to work on some becoming, having becoming less anxious and trying to live more in peace. You know, I'm not sure how I've grown in walking out some more of the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm definitely more aware... Like how anxiety has worn down my soul through some fear and some anger. What would you say? Um, I've had the
1: same time to reflect and face some things that I deal, uh, how I deal with stress and anxiety and that aren't, aren't healthy and hopefully work on some of that living, pursuing at least living with more peace and contentment. And Elisha's focused on becoming mm-hmm. by being an apprentice to Elijah for 18 years. When Elijah was preparing to leave, Elisha asks for a double portion of the spirit. Now, this could sound a bit arrogant, like I want to be twice as good as you. But in his culture, asking for a double portion was what the oldest child would typically receive in an inheritance, which meant he was taking over the estate, standing in his father's shoes. So Elisha was actually asking for the grace to be like his mentor in carrying the responsibility of this calling. Elisha tells him, you'll get it. If, only if you stick with me so Elisha sticks like glue to Elijah as they together take an intentional journey to some key places
0: now this journey reminds me of our son Derek on the day that he proposed he started the day with Kara retracing all the key places of their relationship reminding her of where they had been and how their relationship had been built and then they ended up proposing at the place of their first date now Elisha and Elijah take this journey for the same reason to remember They start in Gilgal where the Israelites were circumcised before going into the promised land where God said that he took off the reproach or the shame that had been on them from Egypt because God was doing a new thing in them. The next stop was Bethel and you may remember this is where Jacob met God saying surely the Lord is in this place. Emphasizing to Elijah how important the presence of God is. They continued on to Jericho, and do you remember the walls around that city that the Israelites marched around for seven days? Twenty-six feet high, six feet across, and it came down? I mean, this stop reminded Elisha that we walk by faith and not by sight. There is no way to bring down this kind of wall by your own strength. And finally, they arrive at the Jordan River. And this is where the Israelites had to cross to enter into the promised land from their 40 years of wandering. God miraculously separated the waters as the Israelites passed through on dry ground. Joshua had them take 12 stones as a memorial of the 12 tribes of Israel so no one would forget what God did there. Elisha is reminded of the faithfulness of God to make a way when there is no way. And it's here Elijah takes his mantle, strikes the water, the river parts as they cross on dry land.
1: And then suddenly a chariot of fire and horses along with a whirlwind take Elijah up to heaven, a deathless entrance into heaven. Mm -hmm. Perhaps as a reward for Elijah's bold faithfulness Mm -hmm. to God. Elijah is often described as the person God used to save Israel from complete abandonment by God because of the depth of their sin. Elisha tears his clothes in two, expressing his sadness. Then he picks up the mantle, goes back to the Jordan River, strikes the water and crosses over on dry ground, which is God's way of saying, you got what you wanted, Elisha. You've got the anointing. And what we see then is far more miracles were done by Elisha than any of the other Old Testament prophets. Elisha's ministry was his name. God saves Elisha's life message reflects God's heart to continually reach out to his people, inviting them to return to him to save them. By comparison, Elijah's miracles are directly against the evil prevalent in the land. Remember the showdown of the prophets of the the altar of Baals and, and clearly seeing who the one true God is. But Elisha's miracles focus more on healing and restoration. Elisha's life is this continual testimony reflecting how God is so ready to respond Mm. to those who are distressed and call upon him with a believing heart. See, in the Old Testament prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha, we see miracle after miracle. Mm. God is consistently trying to show who he is. He's always been a miracle-working God and it continues throughout the New Testament and into today. Both the kings and the people reflect faithlessness in God. Therefore, Elisha focuses his ministry on unlikely marginalized foreigners who choose to trust God and we're gonna focus on three stories the widow the Shunammite woman and Naaman
0: first the widow now she's lost her husband her money and now she's in danger of losing her children to be taken as slaves and she reaches out to Elisha because she's absolutely desperate Elisha asks, what shall I do for you tell me what have you in the house and she said well your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil So Elisha tells her, Go to your neighbors, get a bunch of jars from them, bring them to your house, and then pour out the little bit of oil that you do have into these other jars. He's asking her to take the only thing that she has left and to give it back to God. She does, and she keeps pouring. Her sons keep bringing her jars, filling them up one after another. I mean, can you imagine what they were thinking and feeling as they saw God's miraculous provision? Like maybe the boys, like, Mom, we should have gotten you a whole lot more jars. The text says... That when all the jars were full, the widow came trembling to Elijah. She let him know that her jar of oil became many jars of oil. And Elijah tells her, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Sweet words. Your debt is paid. Your future is free.
1: Yeah. Last week, we saw another widow give out of her need by giving the last of her food to Elijah. You will see this regularly in the Bible. God asks us to give out of our need, and then he blesses us. Now, these examples don't tell us to give out, out of our need as a way of manipulating God. Give and so, you, so that you get. Mm-hmm. We're not forcing God to do something, but we are showing our trust in him by giving out of our need when and in the way he asks. But sometimes we offer God the very thing we're desperate for. So the widow made a simple act, trusting in God. She wasn't telling God how he was to answer. She wasn't telling, trying to manipulate him at all.
0: I mean, these stories were, are great reminders for us. It reminds me of like in the beginning of our marriage when we had some needs. And we weren't trying to, to manipulate, but build trust in God. Yeah, I remember, mm-hmm. our,
1: remember our second year of marriage, mm-hmm. making $19,000 a year, both mm-hmm. of us working on our master's degrees. Six weeks till school and I was just over $2,000 short of being able to make mm-hmm. the payment. As we prayed, God prompted us both that we were to give $800 beyond mm-hmm. our tithe as a gift to a missionary. Mm-hmm. We were nervous, mm-hmm. but we risked. And in the next six weeks, I made $2,500 more than normal in my job due to unexpected, unusual overtime. And I paid cash for school and had a little left over.
0: Now, I remember that, and I also remember a 50-pound bag of rice that we ate on forever. Um, But the need could be, other than financial, it could be health or relational. I was talking to my mom this week, and she shared how she was needing to just take one step. Those were her literal words, and I'm like, Mom, I haven't told you this, but that's the main point of our message this week. And she reminded me that, you know, especially after my dad died, that's how she lived. And she said she needed that reminder again this week these are her words she says you don't stop hurting you just take one step and then another you don't stop being scared you just take one step and then another and you don't stop loving you just take one step and then another I just love her like wow choosing to take that next step it reminds me of like how we put a sail on a boat and that's all we're responsible for we just take that risk we put up a sail and then we make room for God to move and we don't know how that he may weigh in. We don't control that. We just take one more step toward God, and it can have massive implications. Yeah.
1: The second story from Elisha's life, the Shunammite woman found in Second Kings 4. It says One day Elisha went on to Shunam where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. She treated Elisha and his servant really well. I can imagine them talking. This woman has been so good to us. What can we do for her? We know she's really well off, but she has no son. And in those days, sons were everything. They took care of you in your old age, kept your family line going. A life with no son was thought of in that day as incomplete. And this woman has none. And yet she, she doesn't complain about it.
0: And so despite her not asking for it, Elisha tells her, this time next year, God will give you a son. So she says, don't tease me. Don't lie to me. Because this is a sensitive topic. I mean, it seemed like um, having a child was a dream that she'd given up on. Elijah says, I'm not. And in a year, she has a baby by her very old husband. And then years later, this same son dies. So the mother travels directly to Elisha. He sees her coming and he tells his servant Gehazi, run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God and she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress and the lord has hidden it from me and has not told me and she responds in verse 28 did i ask my lord for a son did i not say do not deceive me
1: elisha then tells the servant to go and lay a staff on the boy yet the child remains lifeless the mother tenaciously insists elisha come with her and after he arrives elisha says went in and shut the door behind the two of them just the dead boy and elisha in the room and prayed to the lord And then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. And then he got back up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Verse 38, he, Elisha, said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out.
0: I mean, don't you love her tenacity? I mean, she is not going to leave without Elisha. She knows God has done a miracle in the past, bringing life in terms of her fertility from her and from her husband's bodies, right? And she she just won't take no for an answer. I like the question that Elisha asks the widow when she comes. Is all well with you? Are you okay? That question helps us sometimes see the next step that we may need to take. That's a question that God would compassionately ask you today. What are you not okay with in your life? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's with your family, maybe it's, I don't know, whatever it is. Jesus is inviting you like this woman, just take the next step in turning toward God. And again, that can lead to massive implications.
1: Yeah. The next story is of Naaman and a servant girl. Naaman is a military leader from the Aramean territory located in Syria, an enemy of Israel. The Arameans were able to gain power and influence by controlling all the major communication and trade routes in Syria. They were known as a clear enemy of Israel. However, with Elisha, we continue to see God's heart of compassion for those who were enemies of God. One example of this, an enraged king of Aram sends an army to capture Elisha. He's furious because Elisha is able to know his political and military strategies, like he has this wiretap on every phone line and email or something. God was giving hidden secrets to his prophet, Elisha. So with just Elisha and his servant standing at the city gate, The servant panics as he sees the vast approaching Aramean army of horses and chariots surrounding the city. Elisha doesn't fear. Verse 16, he said, Do not be afraid, Mm -hmm. for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha's servant was terrified. He was blind to the presence of God fighting for them. Essentially, he thought God had abandoned them. Mm -hmm. He doubted the goodness of God in that moment, didn't he? And isn't that the essence of sin? choosing something over God because we don't think God is there and really cares or will do something. So verse 17, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Mm -hmm. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the depth of Elisha's relationship with God shows such confidence in knowing the unseen realm of God. Mm -hmm. When they attacked, Elisha prayed, please strike this people with blindness. So he, God, struck them with blindness. Verse 18, Elisha then guides the blind army 10 miles to Samaria, the capital of Israel, and delivers them into the hands of the king of Israel, at which time God restores their sight. I'd love to see that. Elisha commands the king of Israel to not kill the army. And instead, to feed the soldiers and send them away. See, Elisha's neutrality successfully deters military conflict between the two nations. And I love this next line. The Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel.
0: So back to Naaman, you know, um, a respected and powerful captain in the army of the king of Syria, who had achieved great military success because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, Naaman also had leprosy. This was the most feared disease in the world. Um, at that time, it began with a white patch of skin, um, like a rash, and that would break out and then spread all over your body. In time, your nerve endings deaden, bodily extremities would fall off, boils would break out all over your body, leaving gaping wounds of raw flesh. Essentially, you turned into the walking dead. I mean, in those days, there was no cure. There was 100% death rate, and if you had it, you were literally put outside of the city because they believed it was highly contagious. Now, if you had leprosy, you had to shout unclean if someone came near. Leprosy was a sentence of banishment and death. The text goes on. Now, the Syrians on one of their raids, this was before they had that blind encounter with Elisha. They had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Now, this story is one of my favorites because when I was about four, someone gave me a record of this story. And I'd listen over and over about this little girl who was all alone, but stood up for God. I mean, she was a victim of Naaman's armies. Imagine the horror that she had gone through. I mean, she was taken from her family, who at best were also taken captive and sold somewhere else, or at worst, they had been killed. Yet she seems to have remarkably forgiven Naaman. And instead of saying, well, after all he do- he's done, Naaman deserves leprosy. God's just given him what he deserves. No, in verse 3, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This little servant girl, captured by Aramean raiders from her family, forced to serve in Naaman's household, demonstrates such a faith in God. With her small next step, she is the one who is the catalyst to everything that happens next, to helping Naaman find God for helping fulfill God's desire to make his name more known among the nations.
1: Verse 4, So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land Mm -hmm. of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman takes ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And clothing back then was really expensive, all handmade. All together in today's dollars, he was carrying around $4.2 million of gifts. That's a chunk of change. Mm -hmm. Naaman goes to the king of Israel saying, I came to be healed. And the king of Israel tears his clothes at such an impossible request. It's not in his thinking to go to Elisha and trust that God can heal Naaman through him. Elisha hears of this and messages the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying go and wash on the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Jordan was a dirty and nasty river 15 miles out of the way when there was another river closer by. And why seven times? I don't know. But Elisha says even if it feels repetitive just take the next step and something massive can happen. But Naaman's first reaction is to leave in rage. It says but Naaman was angry and went away saying behold I thought that he would surely come out to me. And stand and call upon the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman is like, I know that he's trying to humiliate me. He's trying to to get me to stand and go in the Jordan with 10,000 Israelites watching and laughing and mocking me so that when I don't get healed, they'll tell stories for years about old Naaman. But his servants come near him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. All you have to do is go and wash. What have you got to lose except your pride? So he went down and dipped himself seven times. Just take the next step. In the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean.
0: Naaman wasn't looking for God. I mean, he was looking for a cure for leprosy. But God used his search for a cure to lead him to something even better than a cure for leprosy. In verse 15, Then he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Elisha perceived a bigger purpose in this leprosy. God used this so that Naaman might come to know God. And the name and account clearly reveals God's desire to make himself known to every person. That God wants to know and bless all people is a con- recurring theme in the entire Bible. So in summary, what do we see in Elijah's life, especially in these three accounts? We see the miraculous. I love it. We even see that after Elisha's death. In 2 Kings, it talks about how Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade uh, the land in the spring of the year and as a man was being buried behold a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of elisha and as soon as the man touched the bones of elisha he revived and stood on his feet now that's some um, some life in there them bones you know that's power
1: yeah elisha's um. ministry foreshadows the ministry of jesus God had promised to raise up after Elijah a prophet greater than he was. And Elisha was that prophet. And yet Elisha was just Mm -hmm. a mere foreshadowing of Jesus, the greatest of Mm -hmm. all prophets. Jesus, the ultimate prophet, more fully and miraculously parallels Elisha's ministry. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus shows concern for the women, the rich and the poor, lepers and foreigners. He feeds the multitudes with a few Mm -hmm. loaves of bread and fish. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave us a promise. Jesus said he would use our lives for greater things. Jesus promised us in John 14 that we would do greater works than even he did. God's miraculous power is still at work today. And what is it that takes us into seeing more of that power of God? We simply live life just taking another little step toward God, a step that can have massive implications.
0: Now, each of these characters first display faith, seen in just taking the next steps toward God, which is then followed by a miracle that had huge implications. I mean, the widow must first collect empty vessels, right? Close her door and pour the oil. The Shunammite woman seeks out Elijah and insists on a solution. Naaman humbles himself and bathes seven times in the Jordan. Each of these next steps, faith filled actions, they are met with a reward.
1: And there's no formulas for getting a miracle. Religion teaches you to approach God based on a formula. If you do this, God will do that. It's mechanical. You do A, and God is obligated to do B. So you say things like in religion, God, my life is good enough. I've done enough for the right things, so you owe me a marriage, a health family, a a prospering business. But the Christian faith is not faith in a formula, but faith in a person, Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't have a vending machine kind of God where we put in the right amount of money and out pops a blessing. We don't rub a bottle and get our three wishes from the genie. Faith is simply trusting God enough to take the next step. Mm -hmm. And that's how faith works. You just take a step. You put your sail up and you make room for God to move. Some of us don't see God move in our lives because we're not putting the sail up. We keep waiting for him to make the first move, but we're not taking that next step toward him. Mm -hmm. He's already taken the first move. So how how can we respond to this message today? Well, if you don't know God and are wanting to know him more, just take another simple step. Talk to God. Let him know your desire to follow him. Ask for and receive his forgiveness for your sin and your failures. And invite him to be the master, the leader of your life, and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's not a magic formula. You are simply putting yourself in right relationship with God.
0: So if God asked you right now, what are you not okay with in your life today? What would you say? Take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the next step that is in that area of need. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? So remember, the miraculous doesn't have to be so overwhelming, you know? Our job is just to take the one more step. We simply put up the sail and we make room for God to move.
1: Would you join me in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, help me, help us to simply take that next step and then the one after that and the one after that towards you. Lord, putting our trust in you, moving towards you, taking risks to pray and speak and act as we see your spirit and your love inviting us to. And Lord, would you help us to trust you so that you'll do your miraculous works through us, that the world around us, meaning our family, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our co-workers, our our, our nation would know that you, Jesus, are God and that you love them more than they could ever even imagine. And Lord, would you through our lives... And the simple steps we take miraculously transform our families, Mm -hmm. our community, our city, our state, our nation, and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now would you join in worship as Maddie leads us in a song.
0: We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.